welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Joining us on the ABCA podcast this week are the Walking Tall Movement founders, Dr. Vanetta LaRosa, Todd Blylevin, and Chris Malzuski. The Walking Tall Movement was born out of tragic events with Todd being involved in the Las Vegas shooting and Chris being involved in the Highland Park shooting. Their mission statement is to inspire humanity to walk tall for those suffering with their mental health until they can walk tall on their own. LaRosa is the founder of Helping Hands Children's Services and received her a doctorate from SIU in Educational Psychology and Applied Behavior Analysis. Bly Levin is the founder of the Scout Hub and was on the podcast with me in the summer of 22. Malazuski played for and coached with me at the University of Iowa and now runs the Highland Park Park District. My hope with this episode is to make it okay for people to open up and be vulnerable about their struggles during life's journey. It's an open and honest conversation with the four of us. I hope that it helps someone out there be okay with reaching out when you're struggling or need help. Let's welcome Dr. LaRosa, Todd, and Chris to the podcast. The no, show. I love that shirt you design. I designed, though. Listen, don't be afraid. Why do you think I'm wearing it? Don't be afraid. Talk about Tabula Rasa. <laughs> you can bring you can bring that up. Holy cow! Don't, you still have those? Don't be afraid to talk about how I wore this at the Rolling Stones concert with you. Uh, well, last it's year. it's on the back end. Me, you, me, you, and Jackson going. I, I got I got music on the back end of it to break break up a little, add a little levity to it. So I'm glad you brought those. I don't have. I Amy probably threw them away. I have three. I have the dead shirt, the stone shirt, and the tabula rasa. That's all we did, right? That was That's my favorite did. thing I ever did was design those shirts. These things are amazing. <laughs> of, of all the... Of, Lynn you know, I was, Thank God Lynn Dom worked at a t-shirt shop. Yeah, I've all the... I mean, let's think. Four, six, seven, eleven years I was a part of Iowa baseball. I think those are like the only three or four shirts I have. I don't have anything. I gave... Yeah. I. When I left, I just left. Hey, there he is. What's up? What's up? How you doing, Ryan? Good. Trying to uh, 
get a bunch of these banged out the next two weeks because I, I start traveling for a month. May 24th, I go to Lewiston, Idaho for the NAI. Then I go to Enid, Oklahoma for the Division II JUCO. And then I go to Cedar Rapids for the D3 because we run all the All-American committees for every level of college, college on down to high school. Oh, wow. So our committees meet during those times. So we just go to make sure everything's going okay. And then I'll come home for three days. My daughter's graduating from high school. And then I will go to Omaha for our board meetings. So yeah. I'm trying to get a bunch of these lined up so I don't have to worry about spitting any of them out uh, when I'm on the road. And that's the wonderful thing with technology is I can, I can get them edited. I can get all the graphics done and all that and then just publish them for future dates so they're, they're ready to go and I don't have to, to worry about it. So it just makes things much easier. Todd knows that all too well. He does yes. it all for us. Yes. Yeah. I go in spurts, yeah. though. Like – I. I'll, it's like, I'll drink from the fire hose and record a bunch in a row and then I'll take a break and kind of reset. And, you know, the, the cool thing with our calendar is it kind of adds new things. Um, you know, I always have like certain blocks. So like in July, July, August is always like our national championship coaches that I'll interview them. And then, you know, close to convention time is always our hall of fame and uh, award winners that I'll interview. And then the rest of it is just me piecing together. But I, I just like, I like switching it up too. like, this is good. Cause I really like the mental health ones that we've done. And, um, I think it adds something different for the viewers. So it's not just straight baseball all the time. I just think it's, it's much better for the listeners cause they don't know, always know yeah. what to expect then too. I was Jackson. I saw you, I saw the picture you sent me the other day, great, man. Like it's, um, he looks healthy. Yeah, it, you know, and this this hits home for me a little bit too, because he's had his moments, and yeah, you know, it's just like so much stuff out of your control. But he, you know, COVID was hard. You're stuck inside, and he needs he needs to be outside and being active. And as soon yeah. as he got away from track and was stuck inside, and he need he needed somebody to you know he needed team practice or practice to force him to be there because he wasn't going to do anything on his own and so he got out of his routine and once you start working full time you start cashing checks and you know Asheville's a wonderful area because he can be outside and that place we were at in the Blue Ridge Mountains he goes all the time so like he's able to mm. Asheville's a really healthy place for him because he's able to be outside and. Um, you know, Asheville is kind of pricey, but there's a lot of free stuff to do because you're able to be outside. And the weather's, for the most part, is great there the whole year round. It gets a little yeah. chilly. They get a little bit of snow up there, but it, the elevation there is not as high as some of the other mountains. So it's, I think it's like 35 or 3,600 feet. Um, hey, Vanetta, how are you? Hi, Ryan. Apologies no, for no my worries. difficulties as usual. Uh, that, you know, that happens a lot. I usually do my apologies. I usually do a better job of resending it, especially if we set it up a while ago, because I your your email timeline gets crushed. I'm sure yours is yours is probably the same as coaching. I, I wouldn't know. I have about 180,000 emails right now. So. <laughs> they call it email bankruptcy. They, they say, like, just just delete all of them. Um, I got oh, I that from Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week. Um, mm. I read that when um, Chris and I were at Iowa, but it completely, like, changed my view on email and voicemails. I don't have an office phone. 
I took my office phone out um, when I was at Iowa, and then I did that at Western Illinois too. At Western Illinois, we got charged for our phone in the office, and I never, I never used it. So I called our our facilities people. I was like, "Hey, take my phone out because I'm, I'm not going to pay for it because um, our budget yeah. stinks anyway." But then I, I'm like, "If anybody, anybody that I know probably has my contact, and I have theirs, and so I, just." get my cell phone. People are like, you give your cell phone number out? I'm like, yeah, it saves me a lot of headaches so I don't have to check my office. It's a good exercise in letting go for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and it just shows you like half the stuff you feel is important really isn't that important. And yeah, you know, and that's a Tim Ferriss thing. Like he's like, Hey, the initial email, like if you want to respond fine, but if not, if it's really important, they'll probably reach back out to you. Yeah. I'll work yeah. on Brian. I'll work on it. <laughs> Everybody's got their own hacks. Like I and I that comes with a caveat. Like what works for me, I I will throw it out there, but I don't expect anybody to follow my advice because I, what works well, for me works for me and yeah. it may not work it for you. It sounds positive. It really does. I do have to work on letting go. That is for sure. <laughs> I have- I, we all do. We all do. It's a daily struggle. I'm ready if you guys are. I got a ton of questions. I'll count you in and then we'll go. Hey, like, Vanetta, really quick, raise your camera a little bit because your your forehead's getting cut off, yeah. at oh, least from my view. Is it? Yeah. This is going to be the first time the three of us have ever I not know. been in charge, Ryan, so we're trusting you. Yeah, so heck yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's we, good. We learned all that during, yeah. Vanetta, we ran a virtual convention during COVID. It was the craziest oh. thing that, that company that we used for to run our virtual, they're not in business anymore. Really? No, they ran. They are because nobody's doing virtual clinics anymore. One and done. They're out of business. It's true. And we we started from scratch. Like those meetings we had in the office were insane because we none of us knew what we were doing. So Mm -hmm. luckily, John Litchfield in our office like took the bull by the horns and was like, "Okay, we we." We interviewed with like five different virtual platforms, and they were the most user friendly. Uh, because we it worked were con- out really well. We were I concerned mean, it, for the vendors yeah. more than anything. And and that, sa- uh, that saved good. our organization because we were able to hold on to, you know, it's not the same as an on-site, but we were able to hold on to quite a bit of our vendors, you know, money because of that virtual. And it actually did yeah. work out well because you could jump into somebody's area and, and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when we did the pocket radar one, I think we had like 500 viewers on there. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a lot. It was nice. Way worse than yeah. doing an on-site convention, though, for on our end, yeah. because yeah. You're, we sat in front of computers for 12 to 13 hours. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. And, and, and doing the Q&As, it was like, you know, you had to be dialed in for that long. And that's you don't have to do that. I mean, obviously, you're running around at the convention like a, your hair's on fire, but you at least can take some breaks where with the virtual, you just couldn't, you couldn't take any breaks. I love ABCA. Yeah. Yeah. I miss so it. Awesome. I miss you it. Can, I can't wait to I'm gonna try to get yo, you back. This is the first year I'll be, this is the first year I'm going yeah. back in Dallas. We're going, we're going to do podcasting. On, I haven't yeah, been that, since I that stopped. That thing's going to be good. I think Mike Odom, he got that from soccer. Soccer's been doing that for a couple of years. So he actually yeah. got that idea from the soccer convention. So yeah, um, yeah he, he's going pretty good on that. Mike's been a nice addition. Um, if you look at what he's been able to do since he's gotten here and he's not a baseball person, I think that's helped us because he came from the marketing basketball side. 
So I think he brings a different view to the office that some of us don't get because we've been in baseball forever. It's nice too. I like it because it's in doubt. I mean, obviously it's 30 minutes from my house, yep. but we can bring in, I can bring in some, uh, some outside element to it too. Law enforcement, fire chiefs, you know, just some different people and talk about just some military and break the stigma of yep. mental health. And, you know, it doesn't all, all have to be baseball, but we can certainly relate it to all baseball. Hey, yeah. Todd, do you yeah, have, then by then, Todd, do you have anybody in the area? Cause we do a strength and conditioning hot stove. Do you have anybody in the area? Cause we've done pretty much just strength and conditioning in the last two years. I started that hot stove two years ago because we have so many high school coaches that have to do both and, you know, youth and travel coaches that have to do both. We want to add like a sleep doctor and a nutritionist to that panel. Oh, God, just as to bring cool. something different. And I think I can probably get Dr. Corum to come back, who was there last year, who's in Houston, who who has aim what about What about FX Wellness? They're, they're Under Armour's uh, athlete performance, but they do, they have um, a facility in every Texas health center across the whole state. They're huge. Give and, me contacts, because I, I reached out to Zach DeCant okay. at TCU, and I reached out to Heath, but it's the middle of the season. I was like, hey, no rush to get to me. I just need yeah, a couple awesome. names to reach out, because we, we want to kind of, we want to make that a little bit more of a holistic hot stove yeah. because we have the leadership hot stove that goes on at the same time. But Jimmy Onati runs that hot stove for us. He's at Ohio State. He's an AT at Ohio State and does a great job. But we kind of met after last year's convention and talked about trying to make that a little bit more holistic for the Yeah, coaches. no, I'll, I'll introduce you to Jen Hunter. She's down here all the time. They have locations everywhere around that area. And they're actually uh, over by the airport okay. um, a lot. So because those I'll have been some of my them. favorite podcasts that I've done is the nutrition ones and the sleep ones. Okay. Because Dr. Chris Winner is a doctor out of Charlottesville. He works with MLB, NBA, NHL, and the NFL wow. on sleep habits. And he's really awesome. smart. He's funny too, though. Like, he, Does he put you to sleep? No, like he's so funny. Right. Like it's crazy. He started his dissertation was on <laughs> his dissertation was on the year that. Uh, the MLB was getting contracted. The Expos had to go to five different time zones that year to play because Port they played in Puerto Rico that year too. Puerto Rico is further out than East Coast time. So Puerto Rico is on a, an hour ahead of East Coast time. So they played in five different time zones Ugh. that summer. So he tracked, he tracked wins and losses. It's really interesting. So wow. like say a team... Say teams from the East Coast and they're on the West Coast and they've been there for a while and they have a team from the West that's been, they actually have a home field advantage because they've adjusted to the time zone more than the, the team that is at home that's been on the East Coast that has to come back and play. Yeah. So really interesting from a winning percentage standpoint. Yeah. that You never think about that. Yeah. You're always just told, hey, get rest, but you don't really think about how it affects you time zone to time zone. That's cool. Here with Dr. Vanetta LaRosa, uh, founder of Helping Hands Children's Services, SIU grad, and then Todd Blylevin, Scout Hub, but was on with me last year, last summer, and then Chris Malazuski uh, played for me at Iowa and then coached with me at Iowa. So so thanks for coming on with me, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. It, uh, we're excited to be here, to say the least. <clears throat> you know, that's a wonderful example of the baseball community and, and also how the universe works to get people connected and um you know, how did you all get connected? I guess I'll take that one. Um, yeah. It uh, it started with you. 
And, uh, you know, if not for you, Ryan, I wouldn't have uh, met Todd and would not have met Vanetta and the three of us and the Walking Tall movement would not be. Um, but as I've said to you offline and have said in some private conversations, you know, um, you know, for those that don't know, I was in a mass shooting on July 4th, 2022. And uh, you had the privilege of uh, having Todd on your podcast a couple years previous and uh, knew his story. And so after my experience, um, you know, you thought enough of me and, and my situation to reach out to Todd and ask him to be a resource uh, for what I was about to experience. And uh, ever since that day, July 7th, uh, 2022, Todd and I have been uh, best of buds and uh, inseparable in many instances. And and then uh, Dr. LaRosa came uh, to us through the Scout Hub and uh, some of her searches uh, to help her son get seen. Um, he's a recruitable athlete now. And um the story is too long uh, for listeners to hear, but if not for you, uh, you know, I don't know where I'd be personally and the walking tall movement probably uh, wouldn't have been established. Yeah. No, I second that. I think, you know, baseball, number one, you know, brought us all together. Right. And uh, like, you know, Chris mentioned, you know, I did that podcast with you uh, last year and I was uh, honored to be able to be a resource uh, to reach out to Chris, knowing what he was going through after my incident uh, in Las Vegas and just being there as a brother, as a resource, as a power force to help him uh, what he was going through. And again, you know, your introduction, Ryan, to Chris has really forged, you know, Chris and I, uh, Mal's, uh, our relationship, uh, which has been awesome. I, I've gained a new brother and then Vanetta, you know, Dr. LaRosa and her uh, reaching out to me through my work, through the Scout Hub. Um, it's just been an amazing thing. But, you know, Dr. LaRosa also has a connection to baseball as well, um, you know, growing up with her dad and uh, and her boys, too. Indeed, yeah. indeed. <laughs> baseball is my life. And uh, if not for the graciousness of Todd, one fine day when I was looking at the Scout Hub and I loved it and I couldn't pay for it, on a Sunday morning, he called me up and said, how can I help you? And I thought it was unreal that a person would be so kind and give their time to me and help me out with this uh, wonderful tool that he has created. And after I put my son's information in and you know, Todd saw some of his abilities and metrics and is running a 6360 and all this great stuff that he can do, he said, you know, your son is really actually very talented and has great potential and um, started to give me some advice in that domain. And um, soon after, I was asked if I wanted to join this wonderful movement to improve the mental health of this great country, given that we are all suffering tremendously. And I said, absolutely, sign me up. I'm there to help in any way that I can. And here we are. Dr. LaRosa, I mean, Chris is in Illinois. Todd's in, in Texas. Are you in Illinois also? I'm in New York. Okay, sure. Oh, yeah. How did you get from SIU to, to New York? Oh, well, I was always a New a Long Islander, a Long Islander, as we say. Strong Islander, <laughs> Strong Island, right? I coached summer ball in New York one year and uh, two girls that live below us. I lived across the street from St. Rose, but they were from Long Island. So that's how I know it's called Strong Island. I actually went to St. Rose. Uh, was my, yeah, I lived right across the street from St. Rose at Albany. Oh, that was oh. the wildest summer ever. I actually paid money. I paid them that summer. I lost money that summer. I uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, we love our baseball here. That's for sure. Vito is on a team now called Next Level. Uh, and he's doing very well. He's hurt now, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah. We uh, I, I lived here my whole life. 
And then I was fortunate enough to get into a fantastic PhD program uh, on a full scholarship and a doctoral fellowship and trained under some of the best people in the world for the stuff that I do. And so I lived as a Saluki for a few years in Carbondale and enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs> yeah, I survived that summer on Dollar Labatt's Blues and 25 Cent Wings. Every bar in <laughs> Albany, every bar in Albany, they would rotate. So one bar would have 25 Cent Wings. So that was the only wow. way I survived that summer was to rotate the different bars and restaurants that had 25 Cent Wings back then. Love it. Sounds hmm. like my life in Carbondale. Although I was a PhD student, I found my way out to the party scene. It was voted number one that year. What can I do? I didn't plan it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Todd, you know, I appreciate you because we, we had a pre-call together just to kind of go over our episode. And I did bring up the Vegas shooting. And I was like, hey, we don't have to talk about this. And so I do appreciate that you are willing to share because, again, you just never know. And um you know, in a roundabout way that helped Chris because as soon as he and I were talking on the phone and he was really struggling and I was just concerned for Chris as a friend, uh, we've known each other forever. So I was like, okay, I need to get those two connected because you had been through it. You don't want to ever want anybody to have to go through that. But when you look at the landscape of America right now, we're dealing with it more and more. So, you know, we don't want that to happen, but it might happen. So we need to develop resources for people able to get connected so they don't end up hurting themselves. Yeah, you're so right. You know, when I got back uh, from Las Vegas after going through what I went through, I got a phone call from a random stranger that was actually, I mean, he's connected through my dad. So similar situation. He reaches out to my dad to try to figure out how I am doing. My dad says, hey, reach out to him. He could probably use your uh, your guidance. He was a, you know, a combat vet, done three tours, a really you know, stud in the military per se, but he told me what my next 72 hours was going to look like and um, and then helped me and became a, a, my one of my rocks. And so when you reached out, I, of course, I had to be in that position to try to help Chris, uh, you know, go through his. And, you know, you're right. We're going through something right now we've never experienced as a country. And, I, you know, social media has, has uh, really amplified everything. You know, we've got kids um, you know, letting law enforcement and 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 other responders know when things are happening before our own alarm systems and things, as Chris might you know allude to a little bit later. But uh, you have to be there for someone. We had a, a, a tragedy in in North Texas here recently, and uh, where you know people lost their lives. And there's you think about not only the families that are experiencing that uh, loss the first responders. I was with two fire chiefs the night of that incident and to hear their crackling in their voice on what's happening and their concern with their entire embodiment of all of their employees, the workers that, you know, anybody in the malls, everybody that's affected that had to duck and cover, run for your life, shelter with your children. I was reached out by a, a mom recently uh, she had three kids there. It was a connection through another friend on Facebook, through social media again, asked if I could just reach out to this woman just to give her some guidance on EMDR therapy and things like that, that I'm hoping we go into a little bit. But we have to be there for, for people. You cannot take this in your own on your own. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to talk about your own feelings, what you're, what you're, what you're feeling on the inside. It's okay to be pissed. It's okay to be upset. 
Um, but you need guidance. And we as a society need to make sure that we're reaching out to anybody that's affected with any trauma, any mental health issues. You know, we, we just got to be there. You can't just leave it in the closet anymore. And the trauma so, surgeons. I saw a video the other day of a trauma surgeon talking and it was like, hey, I am I am worn out. Like, I'm done. Like, the, you can only do this so much where it's the same thing over and over where they're carting people into the ER He's like, you can only handle this so much as a trauma surgeon because you see it over and over and over again. By the way, EMDR was my next question because I was going to ask Dr. LaRosa if she's trained in it because that was the one thing about our episode, Todd, that stuck out to me because I had never heard about EMDR. So like at the back end of our, our episode, that was the one thing because I have a psychology background, graduated with a degree in psych. So that was the one thing I had never heard of EMDR. And so that's what stuck about, out about the episode is when you talked about EMDR. So Dr. LaRosa, are you trained in EMDR? So no, uh, eye movement uh, desensitization and reprocessing. I am not, I am not trained specifically in this technique. Although a lot of the cognitive behavior methods that are associated with it, I'm certainly familiar with and um, have utilized, but it's, it's, it's a super effective treatment as anyone who has experienced it will let you know because it helps you organize and process the trauma accordingly. It it prevents all those cognitive distortions and anxiety amplifications that come along with such a thing as the trauma. And it really just helps the person put the trauma into a proper perspective so that they themselves can number one, actualize it, realize it, go through it as it occurred and then process it with the support of some cognitive techniques that enable the person to, to calm down, to reduce their anxiety and effectively deal with the aftermath of that trauma. Cause it moves it to the past, correct? Like that's the benefit of it. Cause obviously Todd and Chris, you know, as you go through something like that, you're gonna feel like you're still going through that, correct? Yeah, I think, you know, what I could say about it, having just done a session of it the other day, um, you know, what I would say to, to you, Ryan, or anybody listening for that matter, is if I were to say uh, to you, um, tell me about the worst dream you've ever had, right? And you could you could pull this nightmare out of memory. You could pretend and envision yourself in that scene and, and smell those smells and hear those sounds, even though it was simply a dream, right? Uh, you could pull that memory from your brain in any capacity. So to me right now with, with what EMDR is doing for me personally is, is it's making my experience seem as if it was a dream. It's always going to be there. It's something that I could always pull from memory and it's, oftentimes going to pop itself into my own brain. Um, but I have control over it to a different degree now, I think, in many ways, particularly the scenes of my experience with we process through EMDR. Um, but that doesn't mean that the triggers aren't still there and that the trauma is not present. Um, I'm just learning better now to manage it uh, in a more controllable way. Todd, you feel the same? Yeah, I, I think, well, I think it's different for for. Uh, pretty much anybody in your circumstance, right? And then it's also different on the therapist that's delivering that, the different types of paddles or, you know, audio or visual uh, mm -hmm. or vibration that you that you're using. I think for me, I I, do, I wouldn't probably classify it as a or categorize it as like a dream. It's more putting it for me. It puts the reality of what happened. I couldn't remember you know, my movie per se, the eight hours when I was on the ground doing all these things, I couldn't piece it all together. And then I had this throbbing headache in the back of my head that just wouldn't stop. I couldn't sleep. I, you know, I'm having nightmares right now. The last five days since the incident uh, happened in, in uh, Plano, Texas, um, you know, I, I can't sleep. 
And so what EMDR, which I'm going to be going back to and, and have some more sessions on this just to have a, a catch up. But what that's going to allow me to do is learn some techniques. Probably, Chris, is what you're talking about, too, to be able to put that in front of you, process it. You know, we're we're I'm a guy. I don't cry. Um, you know, I, I cry in church sometimes. I just let it go. I, I don't. It's the music that gets me. It's the vulnerability. It's taking off the armor. I need that. That's what I do in EMDR. That allows me to process and break down all my kind of strength that I have on the outside to get into the inside so I can feel what's going on. I can process everything that's happening to me, learn how to deal with that emotionally, and then go out to the real world. And like Chris said, it definitely does not help with the triggers in terms of their first reaction. But what it does is it does allow you to process, okay, what's going on? Where am I? I'm in a safe spot. Okay. And I'm going to relieve myself and, and bring my heart rate down easier because of the training and what you go through with the MDR. Um, where if I've been around people that have not gone through EMDR that have been in tragic situations and that prolonged effect after a trigger happens is could be days it could be weeks and it's like never ending so i think emdr that's what it did for me chris is that kind of what you're you're stuck in fight or flight correct i mean you're you're, oh i'm still in it you're stuck in fight or flight correct yeah i'll tell you actually the topic of one of our shows that we talked about fight or flight we talked about the variety of memories that exist in the long-term storage facility because if the long-term memory is is a is a storage facility of an unknown capacity. So at any point in time, memories will just pop up, given the face of any trigger that may seem innocent in some way, shape, or form. It could be the way that the wind is blowing, literally. Uh, certain sounds in the background, certain smells. We we talked a lot about triggers, and we also talked about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic portions of the autonomic nervous system and how that fight or flight. Uh, bodily neurophysiology kicks over, kick, kicks into gear for people and just puts you back into that same panicked or fearful state that you may have been in during your traumatic experience. And what cognitive behavior therapists try to do is help the person really use a variety of coping skills to, to number one, anticipate those situations. And then, and then if they are experienced, help the person achieve a calming uh, more baseline state so that they, they can actually, um, you know, get through that situation. And, you know, EMDR is, if you just think of the name, desensitization and reprocessing, the person is being desensitized and able to experience and understand that trauma and then reprocessing it. And once they can do that, then they can add the techniques to help them cope and calm down and employ all those self-calming strategies. Well, you look at the long-term effects of cortisol, like when that happens, the cortisol never gets out of your bloodstream. And you look at the long-term effects of cortisol, heart attacks, obesity. I mean, all those things that come with being continually stressed, those have long-term effects where obviously it's going to decrease the the length of your lifetime with with the amount of cortisol that stays in your bloodstream. It's a good point. And that's why these techniques are so important in terms of self-calming, self-care, understanding your own antecedents and triggers as much as you possibly can. It's a lifetime of work. You know, unfortunately, once a trauma or traumatic state has been achieved, it's a lifetime of work. 
Dr. LaRosa, is there a time for medication? I mean, you look at Todd, he can't sleep. Is there a time for medication or is cognitive behavior therapy the, the best route or do, can we blend at times with that? Or, or you know, again, I know everybody's individual. It's such an individual thing with each person, but is there a time for medication? You're so right. It, it's very individual given people's health histories, personal preferences, level of comfort, absolutely. But certainly there, there is a time for a conjoined effort you know, medication management with with good therapy, um, you know, has has fantastic outcomes. And people people really need to listen to their doctors and to their mental health professionals, who should also work together to see where and states change, affective states change, ability sets to deal with certain traumas change, and when it's time to introduce an additional support. I think people should certainly be open to it and hear their healthcare professional suggestions. Ryan, it's so funny. If I may, real quick, you asked that question. I'm I'm going through that right now. Um, if you didn't hear earlier in April, we had another incident in Highland Park. The town was shut down for about two hours and um, it was extremely triggering to me, sent me into a panic attack. Um, I didn't sleep for three straight days. I think I got five hours of sleep over three days. Um, I was really just in a bad place. And so um, I went and got a physical a few days after because uh, I was just in in shambles, frankly. And my my physician, uh, you know, prescribed me antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicine, and, and I forget what else, three different prescriptions. And, um, you know, again, to your point and doctor's point, you know, there's always a time for medication and consideration of that. But you've known me a long time, and I don't know that I've ever needed antidepressants or ever considered taking them and certainly didn't have panic attacks or anxiety to the extent that I have it now. Um, so what I committed to my doctor is that I was going to fill the prescriptions, so I filled them, but they're still sitting on my nightstand. I haven't gone down that road yet, and I'm working as best as I can right now on some of my behaviors. I'm going back to the gym on a daily basis. I'm going to my therapist more often. I'm taking more walks. I'm doing some of these things. And while uh, admittedly they're helping to some degree, they're not helping me completely yet. And so now as time progresses, I'm thinking about medication, um, but I'm not quite there yet either. And Mal, that's where I was on you the most when, in the initial talks with you of, are you going to therapy yet? And that, mm -hmm. that's where I was trying to push you to make sure you got into therapy. And I know this, and we'll get to this on the back end, as a male, it's really hard to, to, to reach out for help. Like you, you feel like you have to do everything on your own and it, it, that just comes with being a male and that's our society is males are just forced to, okay, just go figure it out. You're off on an island. Yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, not only did folks like yourself or my dad or some other close relatives, but, you know, I, I talk about a, my brother here on with us, Todd, like the first text, literally, he sent me, you know, on July 7th was, hey, I went to EMDR, you need to see a therapist, do this, do that, here's how I succeeded. And I did none of it. Like, I was so just... uh you know, locked in on what I needed to do. And, and I hate to say it, you know, my experience in baseball being on teams for so long, right. Ingrained this in me, it's this, we above me mentality. And so at work or in society or in my family, I'm putting everybody before myself and working with traumatized individuals in a traumatized community, being the helper that I am, or that uh, empath. Uh, like I didn't focus on me for nine months. I literally like shut down, focused on everybody else, took all the attention off me and then, uh, you know, you get put in another lockdown and then before you know it, I'm having panic attacks. So, yeah, it's it's hard to focus on yourself when you need to. And I think particularly my experience and 
the experience of anybody in baseball for that matter, having been on teams would tell you, you think of others first, you're not selfish. There's no I in team, whatever these cliches are, but when it comes to mental health and it comes to things like this, you have to be selfish. And I'm learning that now. You know, I listen to Tim Ferriss a lot. And so maps is getting a lot of play right now. Dr. LaRosa. I mean, is that the future of treatment? If you look at what maps is, is doing right now, I don't know if you know maps, they're out of Johns Hopkins, but is that the future of treatment? I honestly, I, this is an emerging conversation, an emerging treatment, and uh, I'm 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 committing myself to learn more about it. I can't speak uh, intelligently on the topic. I'm not an expert, uh, and you know when it, the best therapies now were once emerging. So uh, you know the more research and the more support that that come along, we will and we we'll can blame the government for the 60s <laughs> and what they did in the 60s because we're about 50 years behind uh, what we should know at this point because of the federal government. Um, we won't get into that part because it's a baseball podcast. We're apolitical. We're apolitical. I, well, I mean, it, it, I, and I am too, but uh, again, uh, you sometimes the government gets involved and it, it, it really railroads what scientists and doctors are able to do from an experimental standpoint. And I think we're about 50 years behind where we should be right now if if they hadn't have uh, rescheduled everything in the 60s. Ryan, I'll say to, yeah. to that point, you know, we had on, on our show previously the most amazing man named Chris Brown. Chris Brown is a Marine. Uh, he's a Marine veteran. He had three tours of duty, was in a firefight, basically naked, barefoot for about an hour and a half and is extremely traumatized. He's now a therapist with the VA out of Seattle. He's opening his own private practice in the Seattle area, and he's focusing on psychedelics. Now, we don't want to get into that conversation too much, but that's another emerging uh, research that's being done, and that's his focus. And then we think back to what the, you know, I talk about psychedelics, and we think of, you know, drugs and peace, love, and rock and roll. But And again, you know, I'm not a find... doctor, and this is all within doctor supervision, uh, but yeah. there is a lot of research coming out now on doctor supervised with yeah. with military individuals and it's showing positive results of them ptsd depression anxiety alcoholism because by the way they all work off the same receptors in the brain so all of those things are it's the same receptors in the brain so if you can find something that that helps one of those things it's probably going to help all of them because it's the same receptors in your brain yeah. And to your point, you know, that's where Chris is mentioning, you know, there's a lot of uh, and doctor could speak about this better. You know, the, the research is emerging. We're not condoning use of anything no, at this point. No, because um, it's a moral issue know. more than anything for most people. Correct. Yeah. Doctor, you could speak to that, too. Aside from speaking of, you know, moral choices and, and, and beliefs that people have, I, I really wanted to go back and just just touch upon, you know, what Todd was trying to say earlier and how Todd reached out to you. And really, as we talked about with Ian Hill, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, the stigma that men face in society and the fear that they have about being vulnerable or weak or somehow uh, affected by a mental health issue in a negative way. And Todd, you know, we talked about this and Ryan, how you also helped Chris, you, you know, you stood up for for your right, you know, as a, as a human being, as a male, to say I can't do this alone. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. My mental health is at risk, and I need help. You know, and that is okay. And one of the points of Walking Tall is to bring a variety of people on to talk about their experience, their adversity, their trauma, and let the, and, and let people know these these wonderful ex exemplars of society have been there. They've been down and out. They've been crushed. They've been, 
in, in, in periods of their life that they didn't think that they could rise from. And here they are. Here's how they walk tall for themselves. Here's how others walk tall for them. And here's how now they are walking tall for others. And I think that, you know, I just want to bring it back to that because that really is the foundation of what we are trying to share. And it's so critically important. And, you know, there are a variety of therapies out there. Cognitive behavior therapy has, you know, a variety of, of, of different techniques that are employed successfully for people in, in all types of circumstances. There's help out there, you know, and it's hard sometimes to find the right therapist who's going to provide the correct treatment or make the right personal connection with someone. But our message is to not give up trying because there is someone out there that eventually will help. And that's our main perspective. And I just I just wanted to kind of reinforce that for a few minutes. Yeah, that's the but, thing I always hear with people that are on talking about going to therapy. They're like, just because you may not mesh with the first one, like don't shut it down because it just means you haven't connected with that person. And for me, it's like finding a yoga instructor. Like you're not going to mess with every yoga instructor. So same thing with therapy. Like you're not going to mess with every person. So find someone that you feel like fits. So don't shut it down after the first go if, if it doesn't work for you. That's so uh, true. And it's hard when, when you when you reach out to someone and you're very hopeful that that person can help you in a time that you are in desperate need and that relationship doesn't work out. That is very difficult for someone to bounce back from and to go out and get the strength to try to find somebody else. We're working on that as well. We have another project behind the scenes. Hopefully someday we'll be a little more advanced with it and be able to share. But 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 it is important that people keep trying and not give up. And, you know, with regard to your conversation about uh, various neurotransmitters, absolutely. You know, we know dopamine and serotonin. We know the implications of a variety of, of these neurotransmitters on our receptor sites in our brain when we are depressed, when we are anxious. I talked about that in one of our previous shows. And a lot of these different therapies are trying to find other ways to stimulate these 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 brain pathways, if you will. It's a neuroplasticity uh, thing, correct? It, it's like a they they describe it as a repacking of snow, basically, because your neural pathways get hardened yes. over yes. time. It, it it allows the brain to to be a little bit neuroplastic, more have more pla neuroplasticity. And so you're able to develop habit changes quicker because your your brain is like going back to, to being a child again, where you can learn things and, and redo yeah. some habits. It's a beautiful way to explain it. You know, yes, you know, in a sense at that at that synapse, you know, in, in between neurons, as they communicate the dendrites of other neurons, uh, they become altered if there is not the proper dosage of a neurotransmitter that's needed, like serotonin or, or, or dopamine. If there isn't enough or if there's too much, then those dendrites alter to fit that neurologic situation, neurophysiologic situation. And some of these treatments may help to change the landscape of those dendrites so that they are more uh, apt to to pick up on the correct dosage of neurotransmitter, which is sparked by other medications that are given. So yeah, there's so much in terms of potential for these emerging treatments. I'm excited for what the field has to offer. Again, I am no expert in them as of yet, but you know anything that is researched appropriately and goes through the correct you know IRB boards, yeah. um, you know, are, are what we uh, encourage people to to learn about. And I'm fortunate in my household growing up, I saw my dad cry, um, saw my mom cry. I cry, for, I, I freely cry. Um, my wife will make fun of me sometimes because of it, because I'll cry <laughs> at commercials, I'll cry at songs, I'll cry at movies. Like I just, 
I, I guess, you know, in a, a positive way, I have not been self-conscious about being vulnerable um, just because I saw good examples of it growing up where it's okay to show your emotions. Some of it's, I mean, Mal knows my dad very well. Some of it came out as anger, but then you also saw the flip side of that where you, you saw empathy as well and, and, you know, empathy for humans and empathy for yourself and those around you. So I had really good examples growing up in my house. Yeah, I, I probably grew up the other way. Um, you know, I mean, obviously growing up in a major league clubhouse too and being around guys that were always, uh, you know, reaching for that excellence and the losses that happened, you know, and the quiet times and the focus and and uh, just that grit too. You know, it was always, you never saw really anybody cry. Um, you know, my dad was a really tough guy, um, very, you know, empathetic at times. I mean, he was a good dad. Uh, he, you know, but, uh, but very, very tough, you know, no blood, no foul. Like we'd go play basketball. It was physical. You get knocked down, you scrape your knee, you get back up and it is what it is. And, um, but you know, and that's, that's the problem with it too, though, is, you know, like me going through the minor league system and you're struggling mentally, maybe, you know, you don't know if like all of a sudden you got your, your tail handed to you, two games in a row or you're dominating and you're like on you know cloud nine and you're fine. But when you're, when you're at loss and you're struggling and maybe you're just di totally disconnected from where your goals are in that life. And you find yourself in a motel six with waffle house next door. And you're reading the Bible because you're like, where am I right now? As a person, you can't go into your manager's office. I mean, I, Tom Kochman, like, and I'm not calling these guys out because maybe, maybe Tom Kochman back in the day would have said, Hey, sit down, son, let's talk now. Like I know Tom because he's a dad, he'd be more open to that, but he'd probably tell me, get out of my office with your mental stuff and go take care of yourself. So the stigma is still there and it's, it's not just in sports, but it's in the corporate side too. And I think the best thing that I've probably heard recently as we've started this walking tall movement is more open talk. So we've had some amazing guests come on, uh, you know, Brian Wood, 29 year veteran of law enforcement, hostage negotiator, FBI terrorist task force. He was my best man at my wedding, but I never knew Woody struggled sometimes with some of the calls that he goes on and he was never vulnerable or we never talked about that. We we're drinking beers in his backyard or barbecuing. But those are the things that sometimes we need to start talking about. And we need to be able to have uh, a manager that we can go into that opens up the door and says, hey, you know what? We're going to have, you know, even if it's 10 minutes, sit down, Ryan. Let, tell me about what's going on. I don't want to talk about baseball. Tell me how you're doing. Like, how's school going? How, how's how's life going? How's your new marriage? How are your kids? Like, what's going on? You know, I, I'm 60 years old or I'm 50 years old or I, I've, I've got, you know, a lot of experience in the industry. Talk to me. Tell me what what you're struggling with, and let's let's talk about those things. We don't do enough of that, and when we get to that point, I think we'll start seeing as a country and as a globe. I think we'll start to see our mental health crisis start to diminish a little bit more. And um, you know, the other part to that too, and I'll finish with this on my side is, I think you need to find you know going back to like whether you take drugs or you don't take drugs. Whether you you know take prescriptions or you don't, I think you have to find that center of balance in your life. Where are you the most happiest, and what gets you there? Right, because the world's not going to change. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to have issues. 
But if we can get to a point where we're supporting each other and we're just reaching out openly when someone's going through a hard time and just texting them, hey, what's up, Chris? Like, how you doing today? We doing all right? Even though it might be a nuisance, Chris is going to know that I'm there. Don't go do something stupid and and hurt yourself or hurt someone else. Um, so I, I, I'm really uh, I'm really happy. I, I couldn't be more happy to be with these two individuals. And uh, we're learning a lot from each other. We're learning a lot from the guests we're having on. And uh, and it's just amazing how now people are starting to really share stories. I got fire chief that sh- shared a story about the, one of the most vulnerable calls, you know, horrific calls that he went on. We're just having a drink. I just met this man. And he's literally telling me these things because of we're having an open conversation. And he knows I can handle it. You know, I've been through some of that stuff that he's gone through, and that's all it takes too. just introduce the opportunity for a conversation. And and that's why, you know, again, that's why majority of Major League Baseball organizations have a P performance coach to be that buffer to give the players someone to talk to. I, we have a long way to go, but I think they have at least figured out like not every player can go talk to their manager about it. So they need someone else that they can go to get this off of their chest to allow them to, to get those things out. So I think they've done a much better job at the pro level of, of adding facility and facilitators in those areas to, to help the players out that, that are struggling. Yeah. I would say, you know, to, to that Ryan real quick, like, you know, in my experience with peak performance coaching, it's different than the type of therapy I need or that Todd went through or that maybe some other players need. And so I want to just really delineate, right? Like I've sat with some of the best peak performance coaches, you know, I mean, I got to spend three days in Brian Kane's basement, right? I think the world of the man, but I wouldn't classify him as a therapist and I wouldn't go to him after a mass shooting, right? Like, so I want to make sure that, yes. you know, whether it's the three of us, the four of us, a listener understands there's a, there's a, certain difference between the therapy one may need and peak performance. Cause in some ways I'll say, you know, the peak performance mentality actually hurt me, right? It hurt me throughout my nine months of uh, ignoring myself because I'm thinking this we before me, I'm thinking this, I could fake it till I make it. I could visualize myself being happy. I could do all these things that we, we coach players to do to be successful on the field. Well, let's face it in everyday life after going through a mass shooting or having PTSD, like I do, it's, it's not good enough. I needed like real therapy, <laughs> like real therapy, you know, you know well, even introducing a- peer support groups too. you know, uh, inside a team, for example, you got a lot of young athletes that aren't afraid to be vulnerable in today's game or today's society, young people, not just athletes. And then you have people, you have athletes or people, younger people that are very withdrawn. It's the introvert versus extrovert, right? But if we can get some of those extroverts to be more vulnerable with themselves and start creating more peer support groups within the team, then maybe you don't have to go to the manager. But I question the manager too. Listen, you go through things, you know, and there's my, hopefully there's one listening right now. Like you've gone through stuff. You're hard. You're a great coach. You're a great manager. But man, open up, soften up a little bit because you are going to get so much juice, more squeezed out of that lemon, out of that athlete. If you are just more vulnerable and more approachable, I I get it. Like you need athletes to be hard. We've got to have that moment of violence when it happens, you know, that two to three seconds of blast and momentum and you want that rally, you're going to get that because that's embedded and ingrained into those athletes, but soften up a little bit and, and 
try to get into that inner soul because you're going to talk about a team. And I've been a part of two world series championships with my dad, one with the angels. You look at every clubhouse on how they bond together, man, all those guys will share stories about everything. What's at home, how they're feeling, all these things. It's the teams that lose. There's no communication. There's no open dialogue. So sorry, Dr. LaRosa, uh, I have a question for you. Do, do you um, want to do you want to expand on that, Dr. LaRosa? Go ahead. And then I've got a follow-up question for that. Sure. Just for a quick second. You know, I, I love I love those perspectives, you know, Todd and Chris, because as, as I have my son is 16 years old and he he has a stress fracture in his foot right now and he came off of a record-breaking track season and he's just been dying to get back into baseball. And he's like a caged greyhound. If you were to look at a very sad greyhound in a cage, that's what my son looks like every single day. His mental health is suffering tremendously because of these injuries. And he, and, and thank God. Tell him to listen to Monday's podcast because Tyson Blazer and I talked about being injured. He was injured pretty much for five years of college. So we talked about how to handle injury as a player. I am definitely going to give that to him for certain, for certain. He is, and we talked also about how people with these sorts of physical gifts have this special intelligence. I'm sure you've heard Howard Gardner's 12 different types of intelligences and bodily kinesthetic intelligence is a fantastic intelligence and it makes the brain and the body feel so good. So what he has done to alleviate his condition and there's some fantastic research that shows weight training specifically improves symptoms of depression almost as well as certain medications, if not better in some circumstances, he has learned the speed bag in a matter of four days. He has been hitting and learning how to utilize his boot to help his, his boot. He's in a walker boot to help with his timing. He's practicing curveball, hitting curveballs. He's throwing. He's increasing his throwing mechanics without a pro hop or a pro skip, as they call it now. He's doing all sorts of things because he cannot exist without physical <clears throat> activity at a super high level he was born an elite athlete he's been this way his whole entire life and he doesn't know what to do with himself if not for having those those opportunities in his life so he's creating them but what he is also doing is he is neglecting the psychological part of what he's going through his grades were suffering last quarter and i had to you know help him out with that sort of thing and he said to me, I cannot focus on anything except for my injury. I don't care about anything else. I can't stop thinking about all the things that I can't do. And it is creating anxiety and depression in, a, in an otherwise healthy individual. We talked a lot about predispositions for a variety of mental illness. You don't know what you're predisposed to develop until you come into face with some something that challenges you emotionally to the extent that you feel anxiety or depression for the very first time. And then you'll know what you're predisposed because you'll express it to some degree or not. And that's also cumulative in terms of the brain. So, you know, when they say life is hard, it certainly is. And, you know, with each experience that someone goes through, they might get closer to their ultimate expression of anxiety or depression or something that they have in their genes. And, you know, at a certain point it just builds up and, you know, and now they're experiencing it. Now it's expressed. So what we're trying to do is get to that earlier and say you have a predisposition. I have I have levels of depression that I personally have had to have had to go through and and work through. He has a predisposition genetically to some degree for these things, and so he doesn't know this right now. He doesn't understand what depression is or what he's feeling. But I see in his behaviors 
that there is the beginnings of, of these depressive states. So yeah, more training for anyone in a coaching position because it's such a vital role. I mean, my son has had wonderful relationships with so many coaches that he's been blessed to have in his life. It's such an important role and it's so impactful. And this, this would be such great training for coaches too you know, to include and to embody and, you know, facilitate these support peer groups and, you know, be there for the players because they want you, you know, they, they want to hear from you. They, they, my son respects and regards his coaches very, very highly. It's an important role. We talk about fail forward moments all the time on the podcast. And that was Tyson's actually was getting injured in, in college because he said he finally figured out how to separate his identity as a baseball player from his identity as, a, as an actual person. And I think that's what happens to kids that have gotten hurt for the first time. They've put their whole identity into being an athlete. They don't know how to separate that out to where I'm actually a human being that just happens to play a sport rather than putting all your eggs in one basket as this is my whole identity as being an athlete um, and, and the universe works that way sometimes. Sometimes the universe has to give you a little bit of a check sometimes to step back, figure out your priorities and what's actually important. And then once you get back, I think you're much better off because you figure out, okay, it's been taken away from me. I've worked through it. Now I know how to go forward as a baseball player or an athlete, but also be a human being as well. Oh, it's such it's a hard lesson. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Ryan. You know, like... You know, who would have thought, right, like, in a way, right, both Todd and my experiences of being in a mass shooting, in a way, could be a blessing. And, you know, not that not that either he or I failed in our days, you know, in those experiences, and not that we're failing now, but, you know, therapy and rediscovering yourself is failing forward often. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some of our uh, experiences that we've you know, still encountered through therapy and things like that or feel like failures, but they're successes. And, and I often think back now, you know, to that point of identity and, you know, obviously having coached for about nine years and, and played and having, you know, been involved at the game at the division one level for about 13 or 14 straight. When I stopped coaching, like my identity, even though it was my decision was lost, right. I was searching for myself and things of that sort. And even though I'm in Parks and Rec now and I love the career and I love the industry, like I've always had this yearning for baseball and, uh, you know, a desire to get back in the game. Sorry about um, the White Sox, by the way. Yeah, they're terrible, man. Holy <laughs> cats. But uh, but nevertheless, you know, now I think like, man, with my experience of, of having been in the shooting and now what I've learned and how I've matured over the years, like how much better of a coach I would be now, you know, and, um, and that experience of being in the parade and Todd's of being in route, like have I think made us better people, but have also provided us a focus that I don't know that I would ever really had much of a affection for mental health uh, to the degree I have. And certainly, you know, if not for our experiences, walking tall movement wouldn't have been established and we wouldn't be helping the people of which we think we're already helping and, and they're telling us. Um, so sometimes you got to experience the shit to, to get to the, the good stuff. Right. And um, that's kind of where we're at, but now um, hopefully we're providing more good than bad. And to Todd's point about players struggling, I'm reading Ryan Holiday's De discipline is destiny right now. He has a really good chapter on Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig was going to quit in the minor leagues. He didn't think he was good enough. So uh, pretty good. I yeah. think Lou Gehrig was a decent player, wasn't he? He turned out he all right. Okay. Yeah, I, and was luckily okay. he had a manager, the GM of the Yankees at the time, set one of their scouts down in the minor leagues and and had him reframe. Like he, uh, Luke Gehrig, because uh, he's competitive and he's the iron horse for a reason, thought he should get a hit every time. 
So they sent an old-time scout down to the minor leagues to talk to him to actually have him get a better perspective and reframe what it actually a batting average is. And when you get hit 300, good. 350 is great. No one hits 400. So like they had to reframe <laughs> Lou Gehrig. He was going to quit. He's going to quit. Well, you talk about you know the mental the mental side of the game, right? And there's been you know look at the Ken Revisas, you know the late Ken Revisa, and it's been some amazing people in sports and in our on our great you know sport of baseball that has that have dedicated their lives to educating batters and pitchers to zone in and that three seconds of time that you need to be focused in order to be impactful, right? And, but you can't do any of that if the other 97% of the time you're depressed, you're, you got stuff on your mind. Like, you know, Chris was bringing up earlier or Dr. LaRosa was bringing up, you know, and just the whole storage capacity of, of this warehouse of, of crap that you have. If you can't deal with that individually, how are you supposed to focus on pitch by pitch? It's almost impossible. I've and said that's what it Chris, in the last four yeah. years, I've said it a million times for coaches you have to offer these resources because if you can get your players on top of it, they will perform better. They will perform yeah. better. I guarantee 100%. they will perform better. It's so funny you said that too. We had we just had KT on Cal Thousand and uh, you know former Iowa baseball player teammate of mine, but is now just doing some amazing things still in the game as a as a prominent baseball agent. He's now with what Milk and Honey was with Jay-Z and Rock Nation and was like CC Sabathia and Robinson Cano's agent and he's negotiating like billion dollar contracts or whatever but we had a really great conversation and how you know even at his agency milk and honey how they're now starting to implement therapy and and some sort of resources for their athletes as well as their musicians because they're starting to recognize that uh you know high performing individuals i you know i talk a lot about my affection for music i think we'll get to that maybe ryan i hope but like uh you know i read an article the other day about how you know uh hall of fame caliber musicians have a higher incidence of depression. You know, the creativity turns into depression and things of that sort. And even now, like on social media, and I'm experiencing it myself with Walking Tall, right? There's a lot of pressure to be prevalent and relevant and consistent. And when I'm not doing that on social media now, I even feel like a little bit of anxiety. Like, oh my God, I got to get a post out. Oh, I got to get Walking Tall's word out. Oh, I like, and I could only imagine now in society with social media and this prevalence of of likes and loves and clicks and all these things like how how our youth uh you know are, are really going to become more depressed and more anxious and more uh exacerbated the issues of mental health because of social media and things like that but uh hey, it's that's great why to see i like rick rubin's podcast the broken record podcast because he interviews musicians and so you see like the creative people they have so many self-doubts that's why andre 3000 of outcast hasn't put any music out he doesn't think he's any good anymore yeah, and that's one of the greatest outcasts, one of the greatest bands of all time, rap bands of all the time. He will not put music out because he doesn't think he's putting good stuff out there. And then Rick Rubin's like, hey, just throw it out in the universe. Let Don't worry about what anybody's going to think about it. Just throw yeah. it out in the universe. Create as much as you possibly can. Throw it out in the universe and let the audience decide if they like it or not. And if they don't like it, don't worry about it. That's what we're doing on Walking Tall. That's our podcast. Just, just throw Literally. it out there. Just create as much as you can. Just keep creating. Like, whether you think it's good or not. Um, and I, I like South Park, too. I don't get to watch it very much. But um, <laughs> I can't remember if it was Matt or Trey. It was the uh, it was the World of Warcraft episode. I don't know if you remember that South Park episode. It was the World of Warcraft episode. He literally, it was like starting their season. I don't know what season it was. They've done a million of them. 
he did not want to put that episode out. He thought it was the worst thing they'd ever done. He was like, we're finished. We are so bad. We're awful. It's their highest watched episode of all time. And he thought it was awful. And again, you can't, you don't know what the, what society is going to like or dislike. So you just can't worry about that piece. Go ahead. So funny. Dr. LaRosa, there's go ahead. Highland Park. There's there's a Dr. LaRosa, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Good. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead, doctor. No, I was, I was just going to say there's so many pros and cons of social media, but think of how it affects our kids. You know, they have to deal with all the things that you just summarized and their brains are not at all equipped to do so. I know. And that's where some of this anxiety and depression starting younger. It's getting solidified earlier and it's harder to treat later on. And so we, we definitely, you know, that that's definitely worth a conversation at some point in a separate time. Should we ban it to 25? You Should know? we ban social media to 25? <laughs> I mean, really, that's yeah. when the neural pathways involved. are... Oh, tools, you know, give them more <laughs> I'd say we ban it to like... 25. Give them a head start. 33 when also, the marriage, marriage should be banned till 25 also. <laughs> Yeah, I don't doubt that. You have no idea. The Psychology of Money is another really good book, too. I'm rereading it. I've read it multiple times, but it talks about that. Like, you have people making life decisions at 18, and you are not going to be that person at 28 or 30 or 35 or 40. You're going to completely change. So, you're making huge life decisions, expecting that what I view at it as an 18 year old is going to be my same view as a 40 year old. And if you have the same views at 40 that you did at 18, there's something wrong with you. Well, I'll say right to that yeah. point, you know, obviously having, you know, not recruited for quite some time, the recruiting landscape in the game has changed significantly. You know, we had built some, you know, what I thought were some, some well-built classes at Iowa during our time, you know, some nationally ranked recruiting classes and things like that, but it just boggles my mind now to see 14 and 13 year olds committing to, to some of these power five schools. The new rules are going to change that though. The, the I new hope. Rules. The new rules I, I that, hope. Dr. LaRosa, you're just getting into it, but the new rules that have already retracted and been put in place, it was retroactive on April 26th. So you can't contact anyone until August 1st going into their, their uh, senior year, uh, junior year, junior year, uh, junior, right? junior year, junior, yeah, junior, junior year. Yeah. That's yeah. going to hopefully bring it back a little bit. I always talk about my experience. I was just lucky. I got to take five official visits. We have not yep. seen that for 15 years. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen it for 15 years. And there's 13 year olds making yeah. commitments. And, and, you know, and I got to believe that the new. And the good thing is those schools can't have part. contact with them now. Like even yeah. if a kid, even if a 14 year old's committed, they're not supposed to have any contact with them until until they're able. You we'll just see, said we'll it. We'll see if that happens. You just said it. Not supposed not to. Not supposed to. I mean, again. <laughs> but then think about what happens to their psyche when they when they don't end up playing at those schools when they don't develop to the degree that they're projected to. Yes. It's yeah. very very sad for them, and you know, I'm very glad that the that the rules are being changed. You know, for my son who was kind of a little more of a late bloomer. He's 16, but he's all he's Perfect. a junior now. He should be a sophomore but he's, he's, you know, he's young for his grade. He is, his metrics are all there. You know, he's all there. He works his tail off. He, you know, he performs, but the transfer portal is a difficult thing to fight through. And he's going to be 17 when he, you know, enters into college and trying to sell that to a coach who has 23 and 24 year olds with experience playing, you know, that's going to be very, very difficult. I would have been all about it. I loved our young guys. Yeah. I knew I knew yeah. it might take them a little bit, but you know, Drew Galassi yeah. played for me. Western L showed up as a seventeen year old. Now he had a lot of maturing to do when he got there, but 
that kid when he was a junior was as good as anybody in the country from left-handed mm-hmm. hitter who could run, was a late developer, big wiry kid, flew, That's but my could son, run. Yeah. But again, so tell him to be patient as, as a parent. I'm not talking to you as a doctor now. I'm talking to you as a parent. Be patient with the process. The longer you can allow him to develop, the closer he's going to be able to get to the right fit. But go back to academic and social. Make sure he yeah. make sure he checks off those two boxes first. Does he yeah. like it academically? Does he like it socially? Then figure the baseball part out because if he can check those two boxes off academically and socially, it gives him a chance because every kid in college struggles. I don't regular students struggle. If he hasn't checked sure. those two boxes off, he's going to be miserable and he'll end up hitting the transfer portal, which is why we see a lot of kids in the transfer portal because they haven't checked off the academic or social piece on where they're going to school. What yeah. a tough landscape for these young developing minds. You know, he said to me the other day, I definitely want to study kinesiology. So, you know what? We're getting there. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a brain surgeon. So tell him it's going to change. You still think you are. Who are you I kidding? don't know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Dr. LaRosa, I do want to backtrack a little bit with trauma. I think that word gets thrown around so much now. Trauma. I think what people think actually is trauma. Obviously, Chris and Todd, that is actual trauma. And, you know, to Todd's point, a lot of that gets buried. So yeah. we go through traumatic events. A lot of it's childhood traumatic events. A lot of that gets erased from our memory. How does somebody know, okay, do I actually have trauma or is it just general anxiety, a little bit of depression? You know, how, how do you differentiate or can you even differentiate between those things? Well, there is a subjective experience, uh, obviously, when somebody indicates that they have been through something traumatic. What's traumatic for me may not be for someone else, vice versa. But in general, a traumatic experience leaves this state of dissociation, the state of behavioral change, this state of market anxiety, depression, and uh, and a whole bunch of other mental health um, symptoms that were not present prior to the situation that they're associating or connecting with the trauma. And that really is that acute sort of um, you know, symptomology after a specific situation that would qualify it as a trauma. Now, could something be regurgitated from 20 years past if they experienced something and then psychologically dissociated from it? Certainly. And that's why there are people that come up and, and talk about different things that they experienced during childhood or you know, during their teenage years and they're, they're bringing it up at 40 or 50 years old because they have had struggles in their life and only through targeted therapy and some work were they able to dig back and dig deep enough into those experiences to, to understand the connection that those experiences had to their lifelong patterns of challenging behavior. So it could happen in either one of those routes. I mean, how much of the mass shootings can be linked back to the shooter of childhood trauma? I mean, how, how much of that can be traced back to childhood trauma? I mean, I, I look at Columbine. Columbine was the first one that I, you know, remember, but it seemed like those kids were bullied uh, repeatedly by their classmates growing up. Like, and that was the impetus of all of that for them is they were, they were bullied repeatedly by their classmates growing up. This is so sad. And, you know, this is a topic that, that just <clears throat> weighs so heavily on my heart. You know, what, what children experience and what people go through you know, when somebody reaches the point of, of suicide, attempted suicide, thoughts of suicide, you know, there there's not, nothing more tragic 
in, in, in my mind and in my heart than someone feeling so desperate. I, I've had personal experiences with this. A lifelong friend of mine, you know, took her own life a bunch of years ago. And just, just to think about the pain that that person must have been experiencing is just absolutely overwhelming. You know, when people cross the line and, you know, and they go and target and hurt other people, you know, that's a different, that's a different conversation. And I can't, I can't say for sure that these things come from trauma. They could come from variety of, of brain injuries, mental health problems, psychotic states, sociopathic states, drug use. You know, th th there are so many different variables that that could lead into a person acting in such in such a way. And I know that it's been it's been our point not to, uh, you know, focus on these criminals, you know, to to the, to the extent that we that we, you know, I and I, we, with, I like with and, some of the mental health issues, I I don't like the term criminal. Like yeah, people yeah. need oh. help. Like and Luke Town was on the podcast with me about two or three weeks ago. He runs the Advanced Baseball Academy out of Kansas. Mm -hmm. They implement bully and suicide prevention training with every one of their athletes. They have over 400 athletes and they start at the AU level. As soon as they get an eight-year-old in there, they start this this training. I they've intervened. They've intervened in seventy-three suicides with their kids. That's amazing. That, that's they've intervened just, in seventy. They've stopped say, seventy-three suicides. That's amazing. Thank God for that. You know, and I say criminal behavior only in in this in the state where because it's, someone's it's getting yes sociopath yes. where someone yes. is fully cognizant of they're criminals. Then they are a criminal. <laughs> yes. If there's someone who's in an altered state of mind who has absolutely no idea, and I've worked with people like this, they they're in a psychotic state and they have absolutely no idea that what they're doing is actually what they're doing. Um, th that's a completely different situation. And for all of it, and and there's, I couldn't imagine the various reasons behind, what is it, 190 mass shootings that we've had already in this calendar year? You know, the, the, the reasons are probably so incredibly varied and distinct. We won't get into gun control in this episode either. Yeah, because- That's- Nor will we. Political, and I'm sure that's, we all have- political. Yeah, my but, but my I, college advisor, Dr. Lakey, um, had experimental psychology class was my favorite classes, but he was my advisor. He was in the 1966 University of Texas tower shooting. Mm -hmm. So he was in it. So like that was the first time I had ever heard of any sort of mass shooting was he would we'd sit in his office and he would actually go through the events of that day of being on UT's campus with the tower shooter and what they found with the shooter is he actually had a tumor on his pituitary gland, which caused him to act that way, but also had childhood trauma. His dad was a militant, said you know, he had gotten beaten by his father just about every day growing up, which added, exacerbated the issue. But they said a lot of it was probably the tumor that he had on his pituitary gland. That's why I alluded to some, un, some hidden uh, TBI in there for, for some people. My wife teaches eighth grade. Um, I, you know, we don't talk much about the podcast. She doesn't, Mal knows her. She doesn't care about baseball, which is why our relationship has worked for as long as it has. She, she could care less about baseball, but she is an eighth grade teacher. And she texted me this morning. She said, that's her student's biggest fear is getting shot in school. Yeah. And so she wanted to know, despite the evidence for these kids, how can we help them still be good citizens? And she put in there, one of these kids might be the president someday. So how can we help kids develop a, a, 
can we do, help them develop a, a perspective on this to, to still be good citizens? I think you see this generation of kids, they feel hopeless and helpless going to school because they don't feel like anyone's helping them. Yeah, Todd, you, I know you said that, Todd. Todd. Really go on yeah. this. I know Todd has a lot of very valuable stuff to say. I, I well, have a grader who talks a lot about what he would do and how he would get out if there were a mass shooting. And he's also prone to anxiety. So this is something that he carries with him every single day. And the one thing I'll say is what we're doing now for people in general, being there to listen, being there to support, being more empathetic towards one another, less judgmental, uh, getting rid of the bullying and supporting one another. I think that these are messages that, that need to carry down to our youngsters and it needs to start earlier, much earlier at the preschool level. Todd? Yeah, no, I, I think number one, it starts with uh, our oversight. You know, I think it starts with our states. It starts with our law enforcement, uh, our fire, um, you know, our active shooter protocols, um, what we're doing as a society. Uh, it's not individualized. We have to we have to unify on this measure. We have to understand that our kids are going to school scared. My daughter is going to school scared now. We had a, a threat to our secondary schools here after two days after what had happened in Plano, Texas, and uh, and nobody went to school. So everybody is scared. And how do you walk into a building and not think about, hey, I just want homeschool. I don't even want to go to school anymore, which now we're really screwed up because there goes our whole social environment with our youth. But we need to be more, we need to be more unified. We have to have better protocols. We have to have a better understanding from a civilian standpoint on what civilians go through not a trained officer not a trained firefighter not a trained emt that they're working their, their tails off to try to understand what that protocol is to eliminate the shooter to uh come in mass casualty you know export those those individuals that were shot but what does the mind really feel like when they're walking through those doors is there safety am i secure is my teacher going to be okay how are we going to be safe if we continue to open up the back doors to our quote unquote, you know, fortified schools when kids are letting kids in and out or we got Uber drivers coming into schools? None of that can happen anymore. And that's the only way when we feel like we are truly safe, that these kids are going to feel like, OK, mom and dad are dropping us off. We're going to school. I'm going to be secure in this location. I'm fine. My teachers are OK more open communication, and more love. There has to be more love put down into our school system, regardless of whatever age level that is. And these kids have to know that if they're having a mental breakdown, then they need to be able to have somebody to go to. The other part that, that really drives me crazy is there's this, this fine line of today's youth of the social media and the phone attachment, right? Teachers are afraid they can't teach a class without the students being on their phone. So now we're going to take the phones and we're going to put them in a box and we're going to lock all their phones up and kids aren't even going to allowed to be, be able to go to the bathroom without their phones in their hands. That phone, because of what we've done as a society, is their lifeline. That's their, that's their attachment. You can't take that phone away now. They need their digital connection and God forbid they're feeling something or there is an active shooter in place. You're going to have 30 kids scramble into a box to break it, to grab their phone. That's seconds in time. And I've seen it live on how a second of time can save a life. And 
I think those are just protocols that we need to to work through as a society. And you know, I've had my own conversations with North Texas uh, uh, fire chiefs and law enforcement, and we all mean really well, but there's no unification. There's no unified strategy within even our own district on how we're going to do things. Principals are making up their mind, the, the decisions on what their school is. That can't be. So we need more, more education on a national level. There needs to be committees around this uh, that are formed, that go in, task force, that really work with edu- and educate our teachers to our, our, our government uh, local government, law enforcement, and get everybody on the same page because this is a real threat. This is a real reality that parents are having conversations with their kids to try to push them off to school. And God forbid something happens. Now you are now you got parents that are like, I had my trust in you. And we can't control every every outburst. You can't control every maniac that that when something like that happens. But we need to be more unified. So, well, when you look at the surveys of, of grade school kids and even high school kids, the two things they want, they want to feel safe and they want to feel seen. And yeah. as a society, we're not doing anything right now to help them feel safe. And then you look at some of the legislation that's going in right now, they definitely don't feel seen. And, that's right. You know, and so, again, we need to try to figure out a way to help our kids growing up to feel safe, but also feel seen. Yeah. And that's where I think we come in, you know, to a degree in, in what we aspire to do, you know, not only on our podcast, Ryan, it's just one component of our, our movement. You know, we have, as Dr. LaRosa alluded to, plans. Hey, who, who pulled the trigger on this? I know you three got connected. I know that you didn't like come out of the shoot saying, hey, we're going to start this thing. Who pulled the trigger on? We're going to start the we're going to start the walking tall movement. I think they're pointing at me. Chris. Well, yeah, yeah like, you're the go. Chris yeah, gets good I, ideas and then he's a go-getter. He's a hustler. Chris has always been a hustler. That's why I love I love him because Chris has always been a hustler and once he gets something in his mind, he's going to do it. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. I was just it. thrown into the universe. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. the universe. The universe does. The universe yeah. does exactly what it's supposed to do. It may not no, seem like it at the time, but the universe, you look back in 12 months from now, the universe is going to show you that it happened exactly how it's supposed to happen. It's so yeah, funny you say that because I was texting that that day in January, you know, there's two text messages I say that'll be ever change, you know, life changing July 7th when Todd texts me and then January 16th when I text Todd to say, hey, I got this idea. And our initial idea, and it's still in the works to a degree, is our initial idea before I knew Dr. LaRosa even was a person, uh, was that for Todd and I, we're going to build a story and we were going to build a presentation and we were going to go speak to baseball teams about the importance of peer support, about the importance of not bullying, about the importance of being a good person, about the importance of, uh, you know, having some selflessness in in your DNA, but also uh, safety and all those other things. And so we just got to talking and then... He informed me that, you know, they he had met Dr. LaRosa through the Scout Hub. And I said, well, what about a podcast? And um, we had started with a podcast. And it really was just to make, you know, listeners in the world uh, aware of who we are and what we're aspiring to do. But as Dr. LaRosa said, we we're working on some technology and we're also building a charity um, that we plan at, in short order. Um, you know, as we get through all of our uh, initiatives to, to bring to help provide support um, globally and certainly nationally here, because let's face it, whether it's mass shootings or any other sorts of trauma, communities are 45,000 uh, suicides in 2020, yeah. by the way. That's in my, exactly. my talk that I give to coaches. There's 45,000 suicides in 2020. And 
75% of that 45,000 are male, white males, 14 to 25 and 40 to 55. Yep. Yeah. So that's a huge number of suicides in the white male population. Because again, what we talked about is I don't think males feel like they're seen. They don't feel like they can get vulnerable. So I feel like they feel like that's their way out is just to end it because they don't feel seen. They don't feel like they can be vulnerable. But yeah, that, that number, I just, when I went and spoke at the high school coaches conventions, I was like, you know what? I'm going to look up the number and it was 2020. There's 45,000 suicides. Yeah. Well, that's what we always say too. You know, I think one of our taglines is vulnerability is strength. And that's really what we're trying to instill upon anybody that, that values us is just being vulnerable. I cry a lot. You know, I think another great thing about our team is we're, we're very uh, complimentary of each other. Todd's every bit of six, five and what two twenty, and I'm five, (laughs) nine, a buck 80. And I cry and Todd's strong and tough and doesn't. And Dr. LaRosa's the brains. Right. So we, uh, more than both of you. (laughs) Yeah. We just have such a good day. I cry. There's nothing better than a good cry. I'm from a catharsis standpoint, from a cathartic standpoint, there is nothing better than a good cry. You feel much better because it's going to come out. The emotion is going to come out somehow. And if you yeah. hold on to that emotion and hold on to it, then it comes out as violence. The shower or self areas. I think it's I think it's just the peace that you need to be able to find within yourself. And you know, we, like growing up in sports, we all know that you can't just go out in the first day after taking three months off of throwing or whatever that is. Well, you don't do it anymore, but how you used to, and be able to throw a bullpen. Like it takes time, right? Yep. And so if we're having an issue in our life, it's going to take some time to get through this. We're not going to be able to just snap our fingers and go. But if we have a resource, if we know we can talk to somebody maybe that that has gone through that and understanding too, my one of my biggest pieces that that I that I've realized over the last six years is there are so many tough ass people in this world that have done some crazy things that we would never imagine on the military side and law enforcement, keeping our our country safe. I've had an opportunity to speak to some of these people and they're sharing their most vulnerable pieces with me. And it's amazing to see that they're human. And I think when we realize that, that all of a sudden, like we're not the only ones that have gone through maybe what we've gone through. We certainly are act reacting to it because of our own b- body chemistry and what we've experienced in our past, but we're not alone. You're not alone. If you're struggling right now and you've got the weight of the world, man, there is someone that you know you can call and just talk to. We are built to help each other out. And because the last thing you want in your life is in that moment of dire need to even be thinking about ending your own life, but then to maybe be holding someone else's that just passes in your arms. That's horrible. It's, it's a horrible thing. So we want to make sure that we're, we're trying to spread as much awareness and openness and honesty and vulnerability and empathy as we, as we can, because the toughest people in this world, man, they're all empathetic. I just they're assume everyone has baggage. It's just other people. Everybody. Some people are just really better at hiding it. I just assume every human yeah. being out there has baggage. We've all dealt with something. Everybody has Everybody. baggage. There's just some people that are better at hiding it than others. Of yeah. course we do. And, you know, in talking about how we should be there to lend an empathetic ear, to reach out our hand, just, just to take five minutes to be there for someone else. If you question that that person is struggling, 
it goes so far. Now, my whole life, I've been just surrounded by people talking to me. I was in my 20s. I used to work in Manhattan. I took the train every single day. And within a couple of months, I was surrounded by three middle-aged white men who were telling me telling me their life stories and circumstances and problems and issues. And it, it just grew. And we, we really had a therapeutic situation on the train to Manhattan every single morning. It was like a 6.30 a.m. train. It was absolutely horrible for someone who was 22 to have to get up that early for work. <laughs> but, you know, I was there every single day and I made those connections with people. And I, I realized something about myself really early on. And that is I can get people to open up. I get my teenage sons opening up and telling me their life problems. I I will not stop until somebody opens up to me and tells and tells me everything that they're feeling. And and I know that this was just something I've always had. Maybe some people aren't as skilled at it and you don't have to be. Just the fact that someone else is there and cares enough to ask how you're doing and hears and wants to hear your situation, it means everything. Ever since I met Todd and Chris, I have had more of, of, of my heart opening up to these two wonderful men that ask me, how are you? How are you feeling? How is your son doing? How, what's going on? And that makes me feel so good, you know, from a professional that's used to doing this for other people. I have people doing it for me. Of course, I have my own family and my husband who do these kinds of things, but it's just so nice to see in the world that there are people built like that, that are going to take the time to care about you. And it can go so far. I can't I can't stress that enough how people need to put themselves out on a limb and just do that for other people. It goes so far. Chris and Todd, besides EMDR, and, and again, I don't know if you ever get back to where you were before the event. That's I, I don't know if that's an actual thing, but when things are kind of getting close to maybe where it was, what what besides EMDR, what else are you guys doing to kind of help? Uh, I'll let you take that because, you know, me having only been about 10 months in, Ryan, I'm, you know, I'm probably not the best qualified person to speak about that. Um, but I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to be the person you knew. And you have to July give yourself 3rd. some grace. And I don't, yeah. I, I don't care about the person I knew before. Like, I care. About I know. The no, no, no that's not the now. point. Like, I'm, I, I care. Yeah, about no, the no, the point is, now. is like, you know, I think what I would say in, in Todd being more experienced is, you know, I don't. I don't know that I'll ever be back to normal, right? I think your whole perspective. By the way, what's normal? None of us are. Yeah, normal. no, I mean back to my normal, right? Like none of us are. Normal. Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, my whole perception of the world has changed. My whole perception of safety. My whole perception of uh, what what is good in the world. All these types of things, you know, and and obviously from a PTSD perspective, I'm still working through those triggers and emotions and anxiety and depression and anger and the list goes on, but. You know, Todd uh, has been just a great model for me, not to say that he's perfect. And I think he would say the same. He struggles himself, too. And, you know, some of as much as we love walking tall and as much as we love spreading our our word and our movement, I think to me, some of the more therapeutic and beneficial time spent with Dr. LaRosa and Todd are the times we're not putting a show on or we're not, uh, you know, interviewing somebody or we're not trying to to put forth something. We're just connecting and talking and catching up, you know, we meet every Wednesday and it's like some of my favorite conversations in the morning, like, Hey, how are you? You know? Um, but Todd, I know I spoke a little bit too much there. You know, you're, you're succeeding in my mind and you're a great role model for me. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about what you do? Yeah. I'm, you know, uh, first of all, to be able to see Ryan, you know, I mean, talk about your buddy Mouse here, like to see him go from mush to pure strength and, 
motivation and i mean he's infectious you know with just his positivity in life now um you know i i think that uh you know it's just been a lot of fun to watch him grow um but for me you know going through emdr really helped me a lot i i tried to eat it myself you know coming out of there being strong being tough six six months nine months a year I went through a couple of different uh, therapy uh, sessions with different people. I couldn't tell that person what I had seen. I finally found my rock after the third time and EMDR really helped me. But my day to day, you know, I'm a big faithful, faith believer. You know, I, I find myself outside, uh, especially when maybe things are getting a little tough for me. I'll, I'll take a step outside, enjoy the clouds, enjoy the rain, whatever it is. And I'll just pray for just a minute just to be able to pray for more love in our world. And, uh, and it just calms me down. Uh, I love going to church. Um, I feel like that's the one place only that I can take my armor off, but talking about armor, I'm a safety expert now, honestly, I, there's not a place that I go into that I'm not checking waistbands. I don't instantly identify my exit points. I'm an, I'm an expert when it comes to knowing every different type of scenario if there were an active shooter if there was some sort of mass tragedy that happened in my own environment wherever i'm at of where i'm going who i'm taking with me where's my coverage where's the local nearest officer where's the nearest hospital how am i going to get people to safety and and how am i going to eliminate a threat uh, instantly. And so I constantly go through that. Usually it'll take me five or 10 minutes to get settled. If I go to ABCA, that's tough, man, because I love ABCA. I love going in there, but you know, I went there uh, this past year in Nashville. It took me a good hour and a half to like, you know, figure out where I'm at. My back needs to be, be up against the wall. Now. Uh, sometimes somebody will be having a conversation with me. In fact, if you see us in January, you know, I might be looking like I'm I'm concentrated on you, but my mind is in other places. So that's how it affects you. And I get frustrated at it, but I try to bring my level of balance back. I'll separate for five minutes, 10 minutes. If my words start going, you know, kind of mixing up, if I can't concentrate, if I get that headache, I know through my therapy, through time and experience, I need a separation. I need some quiet time. I need to be able to relax, relax your, your blood flow and then step back into your environment and go have a good time. And, you know, it's just trusting that love wins. There are way, it's like my daughter asked after the mass shooting in, in Vegas, she said, how, daddy, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to trust people? Right. That all people aren't bad. I said, baby girl, there's so many more good people in this world. Um, and to this point, and what you mentioned, Ryan earlier, we just need to spread more awareness of that, right? So that's how I get through my days. My quiet time is non-negotiable. That's the best thing I do for myself is transcendental yeah. meditation. First thing I do when I wake up, and then I go outside and I walk. And I usually, it's usually 5 a.m. I usually see the moon and the sun. The sun is starting wow. to come up, but that's the best thing that I do for myself is the quiet time that's, that I have in the mornings. So. Yeah. Yeah, you need that. Dr. LaRosa, do you have any sort of morning routine? I know you have kids, so like you're white knuckling it right now. So do you yeah, have anything that helps? Thank God there was a pause there because I cheered up yet again when Todd was talking about his daughter. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, you know, for me, absolutely. Positively, a goal on my list is to create a better routine for myself. <laughs> because um, 
you know, I do carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, you know, and, you know, hearing my son say, I'm nobody without my athletics, you know, and, and to see my other son struggle with his anxiety and some of the kids who tried to bully him in school this year, you know, I end up not only for everything I feel for my clients at work and for the staff that I oversee and everything that goes on, my children, my family, it becomes so much. I have, I have withdrawn from every uh, hobby or activity that I have ever engaged in. I used to be involved in MMA. I used to be involved in, you know, a variety of things. And um, I have not done any of it in far, far, far too long. So the commitment that I am currently making to myself is to re-engage in some of those healthy behaviors because all too quickly, we can all go down that wrong path of anxiety and depression. And I've talked about this before, understanding your precursors, understanding those internal antecedents that you experience, that you know that depression or that anxiety is creeping back up on you again, and how to pick the right therapy to get yourself back on track. And you asked that question, and in one of our other uh, podcast, we talked about systematic desensitization and stress inoculation training and all the kinds of things that people can do to control those triggers and those things in their life. You know, and I, and I know that I am not immune to these pains and, and these types of suffering. Just the other day, I was at a track meet with my son. It was a senior day, although he can't run. We went there to support his friends. And the gun that kept going off to start the races really freaked me out. And immediately I thought of Chris and Todd, immediately. And then the official came over and he was actually carrying the track gun, which is not a real gun, obviously, but I've never seen a gun. So I looked at it and I was absolutely terrified. I was thinking to myself, get that thing away from the kids. And, you know, it can't shoot anybody. It's a, it's a blank for the track. But nevertheless, I realized that I've also been traumatized by just as our kids are seeing on the news, all of these horrible, horrific incidents that are occurring in society around us every day. So it's self-care is a topic that is so important. And, you know, finding the time for ourselves, having our own routine and becoming balanced and centered, like, like Todd was sharing is it's a work. It's, it's, it's just a work in progress. I think we all have to keep up on. And I knew I was starting to slide like a week and a half ago. I could just feel myself mine. You talk about sleep. Like I know, like you, when I'm going good, I'm usually up at four 30 and ready to go, but you know, sleeping in. And so we're talking about like six 30 or seven, like I knew I was starting to slide. So like I signed up for a hot yoga class, which I haven't taken a hot yoga class in forever on a Monday morning, which is 6am Monday morning, hot yoga class. Cause I knew it was going to force me to try to get to bed Sunday night and get back into it. And, um, I really do like hot yoga. I can't do it all the time, but oh, like, that was the one thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to set, I'm going to sign up for this class. It's a 6 a.m. Class. I'm going to force myself to get back in my routine. And it happens again. We're all human. We all make mistakes and we all slide. Sometimes just try to find a way to get yourself back onto the path. Like whatever that is, like, again, everybody's different. And what works for me, it's been 48 years of trial and error. People are like, your schedule's insane. I'm like, it's been pick something from here. Some of the stuff that I've done forever, I still do. But then I've tried to add things too, just to help me get back on path when I need to. We're all going to screw up sometimes. Dr. LaRosa, do you have a fail forward moment? I know Todd's because he talked about it last year. Do you have a fail forward moment? A fail cord? Fail forward, forward. moment. Something you thought was going to oh. sidetrack you, but looking back now, one of the best things that happened to you? Oh, goodness, yes. yes There's a lot yes. of them. I was, yes. I was in a, 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 doc, a master's to doctoral program a long, long time ago in an area that was just 
purely, you know, one, one type of psychology that I had a lot of experience in working. And my love and passion was more in neuropsychology and psychoeducational testing and all kinds of other things, in addition to behavior analysis. And the program that I was in, I worked really, really hard in, and I had a very unfortunate circumstance with someone who I thought was a friend of mine who was acting as a mentor that went behind my back and did something absolutely terrible to me to get one of the professors to rescind a recommendation that they were going to give me. And I confronted that person on the issue and it was a very personal vendetta type of a thing that made her act that way. And I thought my life was over. I thought I wasn't going in this direction, but then once I was able to pull out of it and really apply to top schools based on my own merit, my own work and my own grades, I got into a program that was honestly the greatest gift from God that I, I've met. I met mentors there that have touched my life forever and ever and ever. And I was too afraid to get out of the thing that was given, to, like the thing that was a sure thing was what I thought. That, that's where I thought my potential ended. I thought this was a sure thing. I have a 4.0 average here. I, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to stay here. And losing that opened up an opportunity of a lifetime for me that has influenced my entire life's work. And so absolutely, I, I can relate to that. But it's so hard in that moment to keep pushing forward when you think all your hard work has just gone up into flames and there's nothing else for you. And I've never experienced it at the, at the, the major league level, you know, like Todd, you know, and, and Chris playing, you know, at a D1 level. That's in incredible to have to move on from something like that. And you know, God willing, my son will get the chance, you know, to reach some of those levels like they have. Tell them there's a lot have... of good Division three programs out there, too. Yeah, I exactly. see all the yeah, NCAA really, championships. Yeah. I'm just telling you that D3 it. World Series that I'll see in June, those teams will be oh, just as plenty good as the D1 Oh, there's no bad bit. Find them All up. those teams. Find now. the right yeah. fit. I'm just, okay. I'll say baseball, it a million baseball. times. Find the right yeah. fit. Chris, yeah. is yours getting out of coaching? I can't say that. Yeah, no, I can't say that. You know, I think um, I miss coaching greatly. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the bus rides. I miss the games. I don't miss the practices as much. Um, I don't miss the quality of life it led led me to have. You know, I made some bad decisions at an early age and, um, you know, that impacted my path. I think I needed to get out of the game at that time in my life just to to get right, if you will. Um but, but no, I don't, I don't think that was, I think that was a, a lesson in self-discovery, right? Like, I think I, I had to make a choice for myself to get on the right track. Um, yeah. You know, I think I'm in the middle of a fail forward moment right now. I think almost daily, right? Like I'm trying to get through my experience. I'm trying to work on myself. I've taken some time away from work at this point to, to focus on getting back to the gym and focusing on therapy and things of that sort. So if anything, you know, I would say the last nine months uh, have been a failure just because I didn't do those things for myself. And I had all the guidance and I had all the perspective given to me and I had basically the tools thrown at my feet and I didn't use them. I was too focused on my pride. I was too focused on, uh, you know, helping others. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, getting out of coaching was a lesson in self-discovery, but the last nine months have been a fail forward. Uh, moment and it's really led to the walking tall movement um, because I don't want anybody else to experience what I experienced certainly being in a mass shooting but you know uh, what I did to myself over the last nine months you know of putting others before my own good and uh, not focusing on my needs has really been a failure on my part and and I need to fail forward now and focus on myself and focus on the things that matter most my family 
you know, my own well-being, and then uh, the Walking Tall movement. And Chris, it, had the it wasn't a failure, oh, though. Ahead, yeah, it, it wasn't a failure. It was a step to your next success, yeah. Yeah. is what it was, because yeah. you can't classify that as a failure. You went through one of the most horrific things that any yeah. person has ever been through in thousands of years, right? I mean, we've gone through battles. Unprecedented. And These are unprecedented times. No one in, in the history up. of civilization has had to yep. go through what everyone is going through. Not everyone, but what people are having to go through right now. This is unprecedented times. Yeah. Yep. And you kept your boots moving forward. Yeah. And you've, you've learned more about yourself. And you have put a lot of people in front of you. That's not a failure, brother. That's that's just you caring for your your own mankind and wanting people to be okay. And now you're taking care of yourself. And I think that's probably the nectar is even sweeter right now because you're starting <laughs> to learn more about yourself. Yeah. But Chris yeah, but had the unfortunate awesome. experience of having to play for me at Iowa in 2003, but we did bond over our love of music. Um, I think that's what bonded us coach players that I figured out quickly that he was an avid music fan. As I was, we took uh, my son to see the Rolling Stones at Soldier Field. I was still living in Illinois, uh, but Chris brought out Chris brought out the shirts that I used to design. If you're on, you, go to YouTube and look at these shirts. I used to design shirts for our players at Iowa. So Coach Dom, our, luckily his wife worked in that's a t-shirt awesome. shop. Our players cared more about those Christmas T-shirts. Uh, that's one that I designed too. Our players cared more about those Christmas T-shirts than they did about anything else. It like became a thing. I think I did three or four of them, but we I spent a lot of time designing those things. That was a throwback Iowa deal. That but Tabula Rasa was a thing that we talked about with our team, which clean slate yeah. um, and, and trying to wipe it clean. Um, it's funny you, know, you say that, Ryan, you know, wow. we talked a little bit about, and yeah. you know, thanks for reminding me. And I talk a lot about it with Todd and Vanetta, and I even talk a lot about it on the show, but you know, if there's one tool that I use to get myself right, it's music. It really is. I'll, I'll put my, I'll put my ear pods in, I'll find a good band and I'll just get lost in the lyrics and in the music itself. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about it all the time and, uh, given, what the news provides as of late, you know, I don't often watch the news. I'm constantly having Amazon music in my earbuds and finding new bands and going to see live shows as, as much as I can. And, you know, like Todd trying to be, do it safely. Um, but, uh, yeah, music would be my one tool. And that was definitely one thing that I, uh, I, uh, gravitated to you towards, uh, you know, is your love of music. Music and, always and brings me stuff. back. If I'm down, yeah. if I'm out of whack, it's um, I will throw music on. Whether it's classical yeah. music, you know, I studied forever with classical music, so classical mm -hmm. music will bring me back. But I like all genres. That's why I like Chris, because all genres are in play. If it sounds good to my ears, I'll listen to it. I don't care if it's new, <laughs> old, whatever yeah. genre. If it sounds good to my ears, I'll listen to it. I, I have my 30th high school reunion coming up. In September, I put a I put a playlist. I was like, I don't know if we'll have a DJ for our reunion, but I threw a playlist together yesterday. It is seven hours, so I figure if we're somewhere, I'll start it at five. We'll end that thing at midnight, right? Right yeah. on the dot. It is right on the dot. Seven hours. We'll start it at five. That's, you haven't changed a bit. Listen, I, I was hey, I was I was school vice president, but they don't get to run the reunions. But I'm still really good friends with with uh, a lot of women from high school, girls from high school, but guys too. But I was on one of my really good friends, Cheryl. She was like my sister growing up. I've been on her for like six months to get this 30th reunion because it's also the 30th anniversary of our state championship that we won for baseball that year. Mm. Single class oh, in Indiana. Wow. It's a big deal. 
Uh, men's and women's cool. soccer won that year. Uh, tennis won that year. Football went to semi-state. Basketball went to semi-state. So, like, that class was extremely successful and all successful now. But we're all kind of tight. So I have not been on Facebook in years, but we have a 93 MHS group in Facebook. So I was like, I'm taking this thing over. We're going to homecoming. Like I set the date, I set it, I've got it all planned. We're good. But then I was like, I'm going to put a playlist together too. So you I, haven't I, changed I, no matter where I, well, I've been. I will with, not change. I will no matter not where change. I've been with you, no matter what establishment it's been, you always have had to head control the jukebox. The That's jukebox it. No matter, it's a truth. I still get compliments. I've, I've been I, I all over the country with him, no matter where we me. go. I have people give me money. The, like Bench Tavern <laughs> is three blocks from my house. I'll stop in there and hang out. There's a lot of war vets that hang out at the bench, and I've told them about you guys because they're guys that still Please, yeah. deal with PTSD. There are guys in that bar that will drink triple pours of vodka because that's their only way to, to deal with yeah. it. But I've yeah, told true. them about the Walking Tall movement. I've told them, I, Todd, I had them listen to our podcast. You know, the guys that are really struggling, I was like, hey, you need to go listen to this podcast because he was able to work through some PTSD. And so, again, that's a lot of it is people self-medicate because they don't want to ask for help. And so, again, I'm really glad that you guys are doing what you're doing because hopefully that's a way for people to make healthier choices and also stay safe. Yeah. And also know they're not alone. You know, that's the biggest thing. I think, you know, anything that we've... uh, accomplished if anything at this point with the walking tall movement is that you know we've we've received just i mean former players of mine whether it's been at valpo or even iowa have reached out hey coach it's it's so inspiring to see what you're doing i've been in therapy for the last three years and now i feel like i could tell somebody or hey coach i had this experience that i never told anybody about i'm so glad you're doing it i'm so glad you know so that's exactly what we're trying to do we're trying to you know just per provide an opportunity and a platform for people to be vulnerable, to show themselves and others how strong they truly are. Um, you know, your friends at that establishment, Ryan, and please, you know, share our movement with them. We'd love to help them out. And uh, I already told yeah. them, I told them, I was yeah. like, Hey, I'm recording with them. When it comes out, make sure you listen. Hey, Chris, do you reckon, do you, re- uh, do you regret starting a fight with Minnesota your senior year? <laughs> well, um, no. Yes and no. I do because yes. they were sleepwalking and you yeah, woke them up. Yeah, I was and doing that day. That. My senior, my senior. So long story, real quick. Not uh, smart. John, Let a sleeping yeah, dog John, lie. Yeah. <laughs> long, long story, real quick. John Anderson and the University of Minnesota has always had a, just a tremendous program. And leading up, when I got to the University of Iowa, Minnesota had beaten Iowa like in twelve straight series. It was one of the like. It was just a bludgeoning every time we played them. And uh, we finally started to get okay. My senior year, I was throwing pretty good. I started against Minnesota, and I was just carving them up. And uh, something happened. Hey, and, by the way, know. Chris threw like 72 miles an hour. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But our Friday guy was really good, Nate Johnson. Nacho. Him and Glenn Perkins tangled up on Friday night. Mm. Glenn Perkins is a big leaguer. Yep. Nacho was really good pitch pro ball, but I think we lost two to one. But two Nacho one. was like eighty nine to ninety three, really good breaking ball. And so Mount was perfect for for Chris to back him up because it was a left handed change of pace and a little bit. And he had them sleepwalking. But then go ahead, Chris. Then I got then then my anger got the best of me and I started swearing and then I ended up hitting somebody on purpose. Uh, Rob Fornasier's son. By I know. The way. I didn't want to say who well, it was. I mean, I we can exactly we can add the was. details. You hit their third base coach's son in the back, I had, and well, then went a, right I after no their, and went right after their dugout. It wasn't like towards their dugout. Okay, that's fine a, because they used to tip pitches. They would whistle from the dugout if the catcher set up inside. Like it. It was a. 
He's well, this this started up. from the spring. We we this schedule was set before we started the season. So Coach Dom and I get there. The schedule's already set. We're playing Minnesota in a non-conference weekend in Des Moines in a tournament. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we're going to play them at the last weekend of the year. But by playing them, we figured out that they would tip catchers setting up inside. And so Mal's got him sleepwalking. Here's the whistle. Hits Matt Fornes here in the back, but, which I... would have been okay. But then he goes after their dugout and – yeah. Then I got lit up and we lost the game. <laughs> and we had we had so a nice that, conversation learned, I mean, after that about letting let sleeping dogs lie. I learned a lot of lessons wow. in baseball, but one of them was let a sleeping dog sleep. Yep. Let it lie, baby. Let it lie. All right. Where can people find you if they they need to reach out to you guys? Todd, you do a great job of selling us. Have yes. at it. Oh well, hopefully it's not a sale. It's, but, it, this uh, is not a sale job. This it's is not a sale. I mean, it's like public, I know it's making people aware. Issue. Yeah, like yeah, 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 this is a public health issue. Uh, so we have a website, uh, walkingtallmovement.com, uh, where we have some uh, some tremendous resources. If anybody's, you know, feeling uh, anything that's that's maybe abnormal to themselves on on the mental side, uh, it's just you know obviously some hotlines. So. Uh, we've got some information there. We got more coming up on the website. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're everywhere on the Walking Tall podcast. Um, we're on every social channel through Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. So follow us on Walking Tall uh, Movement. Um, but uh, yeah, we're all over. So Chris is doing a great job with trying to really you know branch out. But uh, you know we're new and we're just trying to spread the spread the love. So. WalkingTallMovement.com. Dr. LaRosa, if somebody individually wanted to reach out to you, where would they find you? Well, right now I am the acting clinical executive director and um, owner for Helping Hands. I sold my practice in 2019. So I am a, an employee of Helping Hands uh, family right now. So I don't do any private work at the moment. Um, but of course, anyone could Google me anytime and find me. Uh, just by putting my name in and I'm here for peer support and for other uh, supportive ventures through the walking tall movement. Uh, by the way, this is a record. I feel like Joe Rogan because we went for almost two hours. So I appreciate uh -oh. you guys jumping on with me and Chris, I love you to death. I love uh, you thank too. you guys for thank jumping you. on with me. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, thank you for having, having us, Ryan. We love ABCA. So yeah, thank you. True growth as a human comes when you're able to open up about your struggles. I hope that if you're struggling, you can find healthy outlets to help you get through. Feel free to reach out to me if you need help. Thanks again to Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt Weston, the ABCA office, for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.